Gospel according to John chapter 1. Ryan has already read some of the verses that we're going to be covering today. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 1 to 18 over the next two Sundays. Today we'll cover verses 1 to 13. You might uh, notice as you read through this passage that there is a lot of repetition. And that's deliberate. It's not quite in the realm of poetry. There's plenty of poetry in the Bible, such as in the Psalms. This is not quite poetry, but very rhythmic prose. And John's writing is, is very deliberate in this way. So don't think it's, uh, don't be tempted to think that it's a little silly and repetitive, redundant, and so on. This is very deliberate. Uh, why don't we go ahead and begin by reading the first five verses again? Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Father, as we come into your word, we do so with the hope and the expectation of your grace being with us, helping us to understand better who you are through your Son. I pray, Father, that you would enable us to see, to know, to believe by the power of your Holy Spirit who overcomes our darkness, who reverses our ignorance and gives us faith to believe. So help us, according to your mercy, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. And may every heart be united in worshiping you in this time. In Jesus we pray, amen. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. God made all things. And without him, there was nothing made that was made. He created mankind in his image, and he placed us upon the earth. He gave us a commandment, and he warned us of death if we would disobey. And mankind rebelled against God and forsook him there in the garden committing treason. All of this is true, and all of this is very well known to us, and I think that every single person here believes in these things. What if, after mankind had committed this sin against God, imagine if God gave to you the task of devising the way for man to be saved? What if God put you in charge of coming up with the plan of salvation? Pretty overwhelming task, obviously. Okay, But he gives to you all the time that you need. And you've got, remember that show back in the day, became a real popular game show there for a few years, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? He gives you the lifelines. Okay, so you got, he's going to give you all the lifelines you need. You can call a friend. No, you, you can put a, a council together 
of the most you know, brilliant theological minds. And you take all the time you need to come up with the way that mankind can be saved. So it's time to think. You rack your brain. And the first idea that comes to your mind is, well, why doesn't God just be merciful as he is merciful and simply forgive sin? But as soon as that idea gets in the air, the council shoots it down. They say, that can't be, because if evildoers will get off scot-free, you know, then God isn't just. God can't just allow evil and not be just toward it. Sin must be punished, or God is not God, God is not good, and God is not glorious. So there's so much for that idea, all right? That gets shot down. Well, the second idea, you know, you're gears start to to work a little bit better, turn a little bit better in your mind, and you, you think a little bit more deeply, and you think, okay, well, what if there could be someone who would serve as a substitute, who could stand in the place of, of sinners and absorb in himself the wrath of God against sin? Well, we got a number of problems here. Where are you going to find someone who would serve as a a substitute who is sinless? Where are you going to find a pure substitute? It can't be found. And if you could, if you could find someone who is absolutely pure and sinless and completely innocent, how could that one individual pay the price for all? How could one bear justice for all? There is no one in creation that has that kind of worth, that kind of value. So that's not going to work either. That's not going to satisfy God. But at at the same time as that idea also gets shot down, you are on to something. You who have been charged with coming up with a plan for man to be saved, you're on to something there. Because mankind does need a substitute. We need a mediator to bring us back to God. So, you continue on with your counsel to rack your collective brain to think about how man can be saved. And year after year passes until one day you're just walking along and you have two successive thoughts. The first is God's Son. The second is, oh, if only he could be a man. Wait a second. Maybe I'm on to something here. And the things begin to move forward and this idea begins to pick up speed like an avalanche and gather with it all kinds of ideas and things that would be necessary for God the Son to bring us back to God and to save us. God will have to come down, descend into space-time history and take on human nature. He will have to become a man. And in your mind, your ideas, your working, your thinking, God will, the Son will be a sinless man and then at the end, He will die in the place of sinners. He will bear justice for mankind. Now, There's no way, first of all, that you're going to think of what is the biblical truth. You're not going to think of that because 
I don't have time to go over it, but the math doesn't work. You know, in God's math, 1 plus 1 equals 1. 1. 1 plus 1 equals 1. That is, you have the divine nature and you have the human nature in one person. And that is beyond our comprehension. That's what the Bible says. So, you're not going to come up with this idea. It doesn't matter how long you've got or how many brilliant theological minds you put together. You're not going to spell it out like the Bible does. But if you could, let's just say, imagine if you could, and you have been charged with bringing the proposal to God, you would never do it. This idea would never see the light of day. Just imagine that you, who have rebelled with everybody else, you as a rebel, are charged with the task of appearing before the throne of God and saying, we propose that your son die in our place. You would never have, you would never get up the nerve to appear before the eternal God and ask that his beloved son be put to death for you. Condescend to space and time and take on human nature. And at the end, be stripped naked, tortured, and nailed up to a cross. That idea would never see the light of day if it could be possible that we would think of it. Nobody would propose it. People all over the world are celebrating in this time of year because that has been God's plan from the beginning. In eternity past, in the triune council, Father, Son, and Spirit came into covenant together to fulfill this purpose of God for the salvation of mankind. 2,000 years ago, God the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was conceived inside a girl. God the Son took on human nature to lay down His life that we might live. Now here is what all of this has been leading up to. My question is, don't you want to know the God who would do such a thing? Don't you want to know this God? I mean, is there another God that we have come up with that you would rather know? That you would rather believe and trust in and, and give your allegiance to and stake all your hopes in? Is there another God out there who is so wise and so pure and so majestic and who loves your soul like this? Is there another God that you would rather know? Jesus Christ came to give this gift to you. The knowledge of God. I'm not talking just a, a mental knowledge and awareness and comprehension. I'm talking about relationship with God. Personal relationship Communion with the living God. Jesus Christ came to give this gift to you. That's eternal life. Eternal life is to know, and I'm quoting from Jesus in John 17. Eternal life is to know Him, the only true God. 
and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. He has come to give, give you this gift, knowing God. You've heard of the opportunity of a lifetime? This is the opportunity of a lifetime. You may know God. Jesus came that you and I might know his Father, know his love, and belong to him forever. He has made this opportunity real. He offers it to you. He puts it before you. So Jesus makes it so that we can know God. How does he do it? How how does Jesus make it so that we can know God? Jesus shows us who God is by showing us himself. He shows us who God is by showing us himself. The Bible says that Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. Jesus of Nazareth is the image of the invisible God. Let me say that again. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the one who reveals God, and it's incredible. Jesus doesn't come down to the planet, you know, walk up the, the, the steps of the world stage, come to the edge and, and pull on the rope to pull back the, the curtain on God and say, see, I'm revealing God. This is who God is. That's not what he does. He takes center stage and he says, I am. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. John 14, for I and the Father are one. John 10, this is who Jesus is. This is who God is. You see him in Jesus' face. You hear him in Jesus' speech. And so if you want to come to God to know him, you have to cling to Christ. And you only cling to Christ. It really is rather simple. If you want to come to God, cling in faith to Christ and nothing else. Now, God says about people, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Makes sense, right? Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. In other words, you reveal who you are by the words you say, by your communication. That's true of us as people, and that is also, get this, it is also true of God. Out of the abundance of the divine heart, his mouth speaks. Do you want to know who God is? His word opens his heart to us. That is why John calls Jesus the word of God. It doesn't mean that when you hold the written word, you are flipping somehow through actual literal Jesus. That's not why Jesus is called the word. He is the living word. And it's through him, it's through Jesus that God has spoken to us and made himself known. Jesus is God's heart open wide and pouring out life for the redemption of sinners that we might know God. So you can't, we talk about the opportunity of a lifetime and this is it. You have the opportunity of a lifetime that you may know God. Jesus puts it before you. But you can't seize this opportunity unless you seize onto Christ. 
with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, and put all of your faith and your hope in Christ. Now, a lot of people have this idea that God the Father has one kind of a divine nature and and Jesus, God's Son, has another kind of divine nature that God is kind of hard, kind of mean, ogre-ish, that kind of thing. And Jesus is the softer side of God. Jesus is the softer member of the Godhead, more, more tender and really a lot more likable. That's what some people are tempted to, to think about God the Father and God the Son. But if Jesus is the Word of God, who was with God in the beginning as the Word, and who is God himself, then as one man, Michael Reeves, says, there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. This idea that God the Father and God the Son are fundamentally in their being different, they, that one has a pers- this personality, another has that personality, God the Father has a, one kind of temperament, and Jesus another, that's wrong. Because Jesus is the Word of God, who is God and with God, as the Word in the beginning, from the beginning, from all time. From eternity. So there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. There is in fact, T.F. Torrance said, there is in fact no God behind the back of Jesus. No act of God other than the act of Jesus. No God but the God we see and meet in Jesus. Jesus Christ is the open heart of God. The very love and life of God poured out to redeem humankind. The mighty hand and power of God stretched out to heal and save sinners. Out of the abundance of the divine heart, God speaks, and what he speaks has a name. It's Christ. Jesus Christ. He is the word of God. Now, there's another angle that I want to think about this, about who God is. And and by the way, if you didn't come prepared to think today, to pay attention, and to think deeply on what the Bible says, I probably should have said this at the beginning so you could get ready. But uh, this is probably some of the, the deepest stuff as far as who Jesus is that I've ever preached. We have been learning. Okay, this is going to be familiar ground. We have been learning that all that God does, he does by his word. He speaks, and what he says, does. He speaks, and what he says, his word does. He speaks, and stuff happens. His word works the wonders of God. Right? We know that. How did God create? He spoke. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. How did God create? He speaks. How has God saved and how has God delivered throughout history? According to Psalm 107, he saves by sending out his word. How does man live? So how does God create? By his word. How does God save by his word? How does man live? Man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
The Lord says, My word shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So, how does God do? He speaks. It's His Word that does. So we have the Bible saying that all that God does, He does by His Word. And then as the revelation of the written Word progresses, and we tune in to the New Testament, we hear the Bible saying that all that God does, He does by His Son. By His Son. And this is actually then what the Bible has meant all along. So that when we say that God spoke and His Word created, what the Bible means, what we now understand about Jesus Christ is that God spoke and His Word, that is, His Son created. His Son, who is the radiance of His glory. His Son, who is the life of God pouring out. God spoke and His Son, His Word, the Son, Created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we, we can, we're looking at a couple of different angles here in Scripture of what the Bible means by Jesus as the Word. For one, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And just as that's true with you and me, so it is true with God. God reveals Himself through His Son, who is His Word. Also, all that God does, He does by His Word. We see that everywhere in the Old Testament. And when we open the New Testament, we realize that all along what the Bible meant was it was Jesus. All that God does, He does by His Son, who is the Word, who was with God and was God as the Word in the beginning. Uh, in fact, before we move on from uh, create, actually we're going to park on creation for a little bit. I want you to listen to this. I don't. I haven't brought out this passage before, but I want you to listen to what God the Father says to His Son. I find this amazing. But this, this Hebrews one says this is what God the Father says to God the Son. Hebrews 1, 10 to 12. You, Lord. Again, sorry. The Father says to the Son, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. A long time ago, in the 300s AD, we're going way back, there was a heretic, a false teacher, by the name of Arius, who... Uh, he was actually quite prominent in the church as a leader in the church. And, and he rose up from within the church and proposed this idea. He said that Jesus, God's Son, is not eternal like God the Father. 
Jesus is not eternal. He is, in fact, the first created being. And so Constantine, the Roman emperor, because there was so much uproar in the church, he called together a council of the leaders of the church, of the bishops in the, in the church. And so there were, ah, I can't remember the number. There were many, many who came together for this council in a place called Nicaea in the year 325. And there was one particular bishop, a Greek bishop, who was especially outraged by what Arius was saying. In fact, history says that he was so angry that he punched Arius right in the face. His name is Saint Nicholas. And he is also known for his very generous gift giving. And I'm not making up either one of those things. This is who Santa Claus is based off of. Saint Nicholas. It's the man. He was so outraged about this Arianism, it's called, that this teaching, this idea that Jesus is not the eternal God himself, that he is the first of God's created beings. Now, John, the apostle, rules out that very clearly. If you look back down in John 1, verse 3, we've read this already. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So here we have John covering it from both sides of the spectrum. He looks at it from one side and then the other. He says, first, he made all things. And in other words, nothing was made that Jesus didn't make. So the conclusion is, if it exists, it's because Jesus made it. And if Jesus didn't make it, it doesn't exist. So how can Jesus be made? It's an impossibility. Let's continue with verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now, it's interesting in John 5, Jesus says, and this, this is kind of might uh, throw us off a little bit, but listen, Jesus says, as the Father has life in himself, means he's self-existent, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. This does not mean that there was a time when Jesus was created. Jesus, after all, says in the same book here, he says, I am. He is the I am. He is the self-existent God. He is eternally self-existent as the life that the Father gave him to have in himself is the Father's eternal grant to the Son. And that's why at the Council of Nicaea, they said he is God of God, light of true light. He is begotten, not made. Begotten, not created. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And at the beginning of our history, God spoke, and the universe that the Son made for his canvas in the visible realm, was where he poured out his inexhaustible life. And this life, John says, is the light for all mankind. 
D.A. Carson says, The self-existing life of the Word was so dispensed at creation that it became the light of the human race. His life is light for us so that we can see what is from what isn't. Not just physically, but using our discernment. We can know that all of this is owed to Him. How do we know that there is a God? How do we know that this God is there? That this God is here? Because the fingerprints of His Son are everywhere that you look. His life, poured out at creation, is the light of mankind. Verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Going back to Genesis again, In the first words of Scripture, it says, in the beginning, and then it says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And Jesus, the Word, created, and He filled the dark void with His light. And the darkness scattered. The darkness fled at the Father's voice, which is to say that The darkness scattered at the light from the sun. The darkness, John says, could not overcome it. So this is true in two ways, in two realms, that the darkness cannot overcome the light. This is true in the visible realm of the first creation. And it's just as true in the invisible realm, in the new creation. Think of it. There is no light in the created world that we interact with every day with our senses. We're talking about the material world. There's no light in this world except for Jesus Christ pouring out His life and creating. But that's just as true in the spiritual realm as it is in the natural realm. There is no light for new life, for the new creation, except for the life which Jesus Christ pours out. So here's the conclusion of this. Everything is darkness and hopelessness without Jesus Christ. Every single one of us is in desperate need of Christ. You want to see the light of the glory of God? You must look in the face of Jesus Christ because there the glory of God shines. If we will receive Jesus by faith, we will have the light of His life within us. And that light within us, received by faith, will be just as bright and glorious and lasting as He is. Put your faith in Christ. Verses 6-8. to I'm going to move quickly now. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, we have a light from God in creation to show us who God is, what he is about, what kind of God he is, that he is good, that he is wise, and that he is powerful, that he is everlasting. But this light that we have that we can see, and we can see the design, we know there's a designer, there's natural and moral law, so we know that there is a lawgiver. All of this is a reflection from God. It's a light. 
not the light. And we have lights in prophets like John, like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Moses. But each one of them is a light, not the light. That is, not the ultimate light. Jesus comes into the world not to reflect God, like the moon reflects light from the sun into our night sky. But he comes as the one who radiates the glory of God. He is God, a very God, radiating God's glory. Now, all that the Bible says up to this time is, is awesome. I told you this, this word in John 1, it's like rhythmic prose. It's like a song that is just building up. It's amazing. It's deep. And then in verse 9, it gets even more amazing and deeper still because the Bible says the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's incredible. It's the most amazing thought. This is the wonder of wonders. Then suddenly, right after that word, this song, which is like building up into this massive crescendo, just drops into like from into minor chords almost because it says the most tragic words that have ever been written it's the most tragic truth about who we are and how we received the true light coming into the world look at verse 10 he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him He came to his own, verse 11, and his own people did not receive him. Now, I know it almost goes without saying, but sometimes we think we're kind of special. We need to be knocked down a couple levels. So let me say it. We don't have life in ourselves. We're not self-existent like God is. There is a cause to this effect. And I'm not the cause. God is. I'm a borrower. God is the lender. And yet, when the lender came into the world, when the source came into the world, the world, the borrowers, didn't even recognize who he was. The maid didn't recognize their maker. The subjects didn't recognize their king. Not even Israel. You see, there was so much time before he came into the world as the true light. 1,500 years. Actually, wind back even further to Abraham. 2,000 years of history. God, God took this nation. Started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their descendants. He, he built up this nation. And this is what he did. He shaped this nation. He shaped their life. He shaped their history. He shaped their entire identity to illuminate his son, their Messiah, to promise him their Messiah. And when he came, they did not receive him. In fact, these people who dwelt in a land of spiritual darkness, the sunrise from on high came and shone light on them. 
And these people, so overcome by the darkness themselves, tried to overcome him. But what was true in the first, in the beginning, remains true, will always be true. The darkness cannot overcome the light. The world he made didn't know him. The nation Taylor made for him didn't receive him. But, thank God for those three letters. The Bible says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There is nothing that we can do to have the light of life ourselves. There is nothing that we can do. No reasoning, no moral effort, no scheming, planning, no nothing you can do to have the light of life in your soul giving you life. We need Christ. We must receive Christ. We must believe in His name. See, it says very clearly in verse 13, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but these people are born of God. It doesn't matter what nation you're born into. Thank you, it's all Americans but me this morning. Yep. Don't have Mary in here. She's from Ecuador. Doesn't matter what nation you're born into. Doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter where you have come from. It doesn't matter how much baggage you have. It doesn't matter what evil you have put your hands to. It doesn't matter what good you have put your hands to to do. None of that will make you a child of God. We must be born of God, born from above. And those who have been born of God are those who have received Christ for themselves by faith, believing in his name. What does it mean to believe in his name? It's who he is. His name is not the combination of letters J-E-S-U-S or W-O-R-D. His name is not a label. When you think of somebody's name, think of, I'm not going to say a name, just think of your name. When someone thinks of your name, if they know you well, they don't think of a physical description in their minds. They don't think five foot eight, overweight, <laughs> talking about me. That's not the, how they think. They think of who I am. They think of my character. They think of my personality, things they associate with, with me. But physical description, that's not it. And so when we think of Jesus, clearly we're not thinking physical description because we don't even know. And we're not thinking of the combination of letters, J-E-S-U-S. We're thinking of who He is. So to believe in His name is to put all your hope in all of Him. Put all your hope in all that He is and all that He claimed to be and all that He did. That's what it means to believe in His name. That's what it means to receive Him by faith, that you abandon all of your self-hope, your independence, your self-confidence, self-exaltation. Abandon self and receive Christ 
by faith and give him your allegiance. That's what it means to believe in his name. Have you? Are you? Are you believing in the name of Jesus Christ? Are you a child of God born from above? Going back to the beginning of this message, I thought about what if you were given the task of making up, devising the plan for mankind to be saved? Well, first of all, it ain't going to happen. Second, though, but if, if you could, that proposal, going before the throne of God and saying, His life for mine. He lays his life down. I will be free. Your beloved son for us. He dies for us. Nobody would have the gall to appear before the eternal God and demand the life of his beloved son. But that has been God's plan from eternity. Jesus the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, don't you want to know the God who would do all of this that you may live? Don't you want to know Him? You can. If you will come to God, you must cling to Jesus Christ And if you are clinging to Jesus Christ by faith as your Lord, as your Savior, you have come to God. Let's pray. Our words are not enough, Father, to express the gratitude that you are owed for giving to us your Son. We know the words, but really, Father, when we think deep down, there are more than we ever could know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I pray, Father, that if there is one who has not given their allegiance to Christ, bowed their heart in repentance for sin, put their faith in Him, I pray, Father, that they would decide in this very hour to trust Christ, to stake all their hopes on Him, and to bow to Him as Lord and King and Savior. Father, this work you must do. There is so much darkness in our hearts, but Lord, your light is stronger. The darkness cannot overcome the light. So overcome the darkness of our hearts, our our fears, our sins, our unbelief. Overcome it all and make us your own to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.